Good morning. Uh, before we start this morning, I'd like to offer up a prayer. Uh, I eagerly desire the Holy Spirit's guidance in what I have to share with you this morning. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we need to hear your message to the church. I don't want fancy words from Mark Schwarting. I want what the Holy Spirit has directed me to say. Cry out to you in deep need of your power, your presence, and I entrust this, this time to you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the uh, things you've laid on my heart and just ask that you would enable me to express them in a way that would be encouraging and uh, it would build up the body. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So my text for this morning is Joshua chapter 23, but I'm only going to read verses 1 through 8. I'll be pulling out verses, uh, verses from other parts of the chapter, but the first eight verses gives us a good feeling for what the text is for Joshua 23. Joshua 23, verse 1. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. I'm a preacher's kid from the Church of Christ, and I gave my life to Christ when I was 12 years old. Uh, we were at a church camp down by Kozad, Nebraska, and in those days, uh, we still had what were called fire and brimstone sermons, and it was after one of these that... Uh, I saw my need for a savior and I gave my life to Christ. Uh, I was baptized in one of the interstate lakes by Kozad, Nebraska that very same night. So as a young man, uh, I had hopes that when I put my faith in Christ, I would never face trials or temptations or difficulties again. The mountaintop experience that I was on uh, should be my forever mountaintop. I would never again know the shame of sins, the sting of their consequences, or the disillusionment of failure, the weakness of the flesh. That should all be behind me, right? So you can imagine my disappointment when a couple days after that experience, I became angry and I swore violently. I felt sick to my stomach. I, I, I wasn't really saved. How could I be an act that way? Something had gone terribly wrong. Well, the, the background for our, uh, the message today 
is found in verse 1 of Joshua 23. And it, where it says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. A long time had passed, the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. You know, it sounds like it's over. The wandering is over. The homelessness is over. The conquest is over. The nation of Israel is saved, right? But just because they've taken possession of the land and God has given them rest from their enemies, it's, it's still not over. Because the enemy is still out there. And that is why Joshua has this conversation with the people in Joshua chapter 23 before he passes away. As I read Joshua 23 and prepared for this message, I thought of 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul writes, these, ha these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. These things happen to them as examples, but they're written down as warnings for us. The salvation of Israel parallels our own personal salvation. Their spiritual journey is an example of what can happen on our spiritual journey. And just as possessing the promised land was not the end for them, so finding salvation in Jesus Christ is not the end for us. Possessing the promised land uh, was a start, but staying in the promised land is still dependent on reliance on God. After the Israelites occupied the promised land, they continued to be assaulted by the same enemy we face today. That's Satan and his forces of evil. What's he about? He's about destroying God's kingdom any way he can. He's about destroying your and my lives any way he can, about destroying our families, about destroying our church, our nation. Even if our eternal salvation is not on the line, our effectiveness as a believer is still on the line. Our effectiveness of how we live our lives is on the line. Our joy and our attitude is on the line. After all that Christ has done for our salvation, we are still faced with the same choice that the Israelites faced. Are we going to live in spiritual life or are we going to live in spiritual death? Are we going to live victoriously in Christ or are we going to live a life of defeat? I thought I would start with the bad news first. Let's look at the path to spiritual death. In verse uh, 12 of Joshua 23, he warns them, but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua's telling the people, if you align yourself with the world around you, there will be severe consequences. You will perish. You will be called into slavery. You'll lose it all. I was thinking of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24 when I saw this because of a certain word. 
There it says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hopes that God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He uses the word captive there, just as the Israelites could face captivity. So we also could face captivity from the enemy. I also uh, thought of Hebrews chapter four, where Paul talks about the experience of the Israelites or the, the Hebrew writer does, and he brings it into context for us. In verse 1 and 2, there it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not combine it with faith. So the book of Hebrews was written primarily to Jewish Christians. Uh, This passage is not talking about eternal salvation as we commonly think of it. It's talking about missing out on life in the spirit as we walk upon this earth. The key to living victoriously through the power of the Holy Spirit is faith. Do you truly believe that you're indwelt with the Spirit of God? Can you trust that spirit to control your life if you let go of all those things that you want to hang on to? It's a faith issue. We're still in danger of missing out on the Sabbath rest that was proclaimed for us if we fail to yield our lives to the the direction of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to think of some examples that I could share uh, with you in regard to this. Uh, when I've been writing my sermons, I've been very scripture-heavy and not so heavy on personal examples. So let's take a shot at a few of those. The first example, obviously, is the Israelites. Their corrupt kings led them to worship other gods. Eventually, God's blessing disappeared from their nation, and they were defeated and led off into slavery. That's the result. Spiritual death revolting from disobedience, from not honoring their relationship with God. I lived in Norfolk for 11 years, and while I was there, I uh, did a couple years at a Nebraska Christian college, and I met a young man while I was there that was struggling with the issue of pride. And actually in a conversation one day in my apartment, uh, it came up, the issue came up, and I confronted him about it. And I still remember that moment of decision when he refused to let go of it, just couldn't do it. And since then, uh, unfortunately, he's lived a life of failure. Uh, He failed in the pastoral ministries. He's had other jobs that he failed at. He's lived a life of hurt and frustration. There was another young man that I knew that uh, refused to give God control of his sexual desires. One conversation I had with him, uh, he was very anxious. He was afraid he'd made two different girls pregnant at the same time. He ended up marrying one of them. Uh, It was a failed marriage. It involved a lot of the infidelity. And uh, just, it was sad. But I'd also like to tell you that 
testimony is having a, a happy ending. I recently got a chance to meet with him and talk to him for several hours, and we got to share in the joy of discovering how to yield to the Spirit of Christ. You know, it's, it's not too late to yield your life to the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. If you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Yield to him. The Canaanites and the Israelites were vastly different. And uh, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here because I felt convicted this morning that I needed to elaborate on this a little bit. Uh, we need to think about what society looks like when it's a godless society. What is that like? In Judges chapter 21, it said uh, Israelite, Israel did not have a king, and at that time each man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? In Genesis 6, before the flood, here's what it says about the people that lived at that time. Every inclination of the thoughts of their human hearts were only evil all the time. I don't think that we understand what it's like to live in a society devoid of godly influence. For the first 50 years of my life, I got to live in a country that honored the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's, that's disappearing now, quite honestly. And I should not mourn that because it was a blessing to be in that society, but I don't necessarily deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. Many parts of the rest of the world don't have it. One of the things that I remember from a seminar I went to a long time was the seminar leader talking about the word reprobate. Now the word reprobate means to call good evil and to call evil good. And as I woke up this morning, I was thinking about this and, and the examples that we're currently seeing in our society where we're calling good evil and evil good when we call the enforcement of the law evil, when we call lawbreakers good, that's reprobate thinking. When we call killing babies good and those who oppose killing babies bad, that's reprobate thinking. When we call sexual immorality good and we call those who don't believe in it bad, that's reprobate thinking. These are signs of a godless society these are the, caring, the Canaanites. On the other hand, the Israelites had a God that they served. And like the vessels of the tabernacle, they were set apart for a special purpose. They were called to be a testimony to the rest of the world about God. But when they no longer valued that relationship and became like the nations around them, they lost the protection and blessing of God and were eventually overrun by the enemy. Instead of resting in the land that God had given them, they became slaves in a foreign land. As believers in Christ, we're sanctified. We're set apart to be holy from the world. The church belongs to God. It does not belong to the world. We don't go where the world goes. In an attempt to be relevant to modern-day culture, the temptation is to accept what that culture accepts. In an attempt to be loving, 
The temptation is to ignore sin. This is a path of spiritual death. Christ died that we might be free from sin, not embrace it as it destroys us. Christ died that we might be empowered by his spirit to reflect his life to a dying world, not to become a part of that dying world. For the Israelites, the temptation was always to accept the beliefs of the world around them and begin to serve their gods instead of Jehovah God. And the modern-day church faces the same temptations and challenges. Can you imagine how differently the Old Testament could have played out if the people of Israel had obeyed and valued their special relationship with God? How much different would history have been rewritten? Yes, even for those who have found salvation, the danger of a life lived in spiritual death remains. Let's look at the alternative, spiritual life. Uh, Leviticus 26.6 is an interesting verse, and it describes what God wanted to give to his people. It says, I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. That was what God wanted to do for his people. That was his desire for them. And it's why Joshua has this talk with the people. That's his desire for them. In verse 6, Joshua said, Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And then in verse 9, he says, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. From these passages, we can clearly see that the war is not over for the Israelites. And it's not over for us either. There's a battle out there that we must participate in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Though we live in the world, we do not live like the world lives. Referring back to Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer wrote, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We're called to just yield to God and the the Holy Spirit. So if you're like me for so many years, you're trying to do what is right and being rewarded with failure and defeat, 
because of sin in your life that you don't want to let go of. Or maybe it's the stubborn pride of thinking, I can do this myself and making a total mess of things. Seen that too. Or maybe you've trudged through life disillusioned because you didn't realize there was a better way. It's also a possibility. The only way to enter the rest that God has provided for his children is by yielding everything in our lives to God and the power and direction of his spirit. Believing in total faith that he will give you victory over sin and guide and empower you to live a life, the life that he has called you to. There remains a Sabbath rest for those who believe, for us. Have you experienced it? A few years back, I was reading a book and I came across a phrase that will go with me for the rest of my life. It's this, if you are experiencing victory in your life, either the Bible, or if you are not experiencing victory in your life, either the Bible is not true or there's something wrong with your experience. If you're not experiencing victory in your life, either the Bible's not true or there's something wrong with your experience. I realize there's something wrong with my experience. I believe the Bible's true. So what are some examples of choosing spiritual life? I thought of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He writes to Timothy saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. That's us. I thought of Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham was not perfect. He was human. Uh, he struggled with parenting with all the time he spent away from home. But he kept his focus on the mission he was called to and his eye on the prize through his whole life. I thought of two Alvins. Uh, I grew up with uh, two Alvins in my life. One was my father and one was my uncle. And I watched uh, my uncle Alvin walk with his, life, or with his wife through uh, devastating cancer back in the days when there were still, still ex experimental treatments and many of those were very devastating on her and eventually she passed away. But the way he cared for her had an, an amazing impact on my life. And uh, he was faithful to the end, all 90 years of his life. My father also lived to be 90 years old. When he got out of the military, uh, he came back to the little town of Oakdale looking for a job, and he was told, your job is to be minister of the Oakdale Church of Christ. I don't know that he was ever called to the ministry, but he ministered there for 50 years, and he finished life faithful to the gospel. I also thought of, of the faithful saints from this congregation who have gone before us. In the 11 years that I've been a part of this congregation, I can think of several who have gone on to be with Christ, uh, who were faithful to the end. So in choosing spiritual life, uh, Joshua gave us a key to success. And that is, he reminds us to remember the goodness of God. In verse 3, uh, he wrote, 
or Joshua said, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remained, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised. And then in verse 14, he says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not a one of them has, has failed. If you're finding your faith failing today, we need to reflect back on the goodness of God, on the things that he has done. All that he has brought you through, all that he has provided, you have been witnesses to what God has done for you. I can think of so many things that he's done amazing blessings in my life. I didn't deserve them. It's just God's grace, his goodness. And uh, hardly a week goes by when I don't see some demonstration of his goodness to me. So grateful for that. Sometimes uh, we can get discouraged. And it seems like God's promises... Uh, in spite of them, the enemy's getting the upper hand. And I realize that sometimes I misinterpret God's promises. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul wrote, When we face temptations, God will provide a way out so that we can stand up under them. You know, that's not the same as you will never face temptation. It's one of the things I didn't understand as a baby in Christ. Romans 10, 11 Paul wrote, I will never let you be put to shame. But that's not the same as you will never have to trust in me. That's not the same as your faith will never be tested. Jesus himself in John 16, verse 33 said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Going back to Hebrews chapter 4 one more time, the Hebrew writer said, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is a sacred invitation. I'd like to invite the band to come forward again uh, for our final number. And as they come, uh, I just want to say as long as we are in the world, we will be under the attack by the enemy. We have to remember the enemy is not people, it's Satan and his desire to destroy people. He is the enemy. But we've been given all that we need in Christ to not only persevere, but to live at peace in what God has given us. To be victorious in our struggle against Satan, sin, ourselves in the world. 
we have a great hope for our future in Christ because every promise he has given us will be fulfilled.